You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Would you expect to come in here and sprinkle some fairy dust and kind of took a shot at, at uh, the players he had, and I believe Urban Meyer went after him. That was a big story last year. But I think, you know, Herman, wherever he's gone, he has had tremendous success in, in getting big-time recruits. I mean, he had Ed Oliver mm. at Houston, who a lot of people say Ed Oliver is going to be the best football player in America this year. And, I mean, he certainly looked that way in year one. So, I don't know. I think Herman getting some of these some of these talented recruits, they have the number three class in the country. So, he's going to put these guys in spots, and he's going to see how they, how they can go. And Texas wasn't lacking a ton of talent, I didn't feel. Um, you know, I, I thought they had some, some pretty good classes under Charlie Strong. Now they get a number three class, and you get the, you know, everybody's kind of getting used to Herman. Everybody's gotten used to him. He's gotten to install his system. Let's see what they can do in year two. I, th- I expect a big jump. I think a lot of people are expecting a big jump for Texas to be in the top 25 team by the end of the year. Uh, Texas finished last year with a 6-6 six and six regular season, but, of course, Warren fans will point out that they were literally three plays away from being 10 and three. Yeah. With uh, 14 returning starters, they certainly have the experience. You look at their schedule, though. Uh, week three and week four, back to back, they get uh, USC and TCU. Boom. Yes. Well, the USC game's a top five game, right? Yeah. Big 12 uh, preview will continue. I think we probably need to take a break for the next segment. I want to hear from Pete Jenkins talk a little SEC football and LSU. We'll get back to the Big 12 and, of course, Jake's thorough breakdown on Kansas coming up later in the show. <laughs> I literally wrote two words for Kansas. Well, got all these Louisiana kids. I literally wrote two words. RJ wants to know, did y'all preview the SWAC or the Southland Conference? We did not. Do you want us to? Uh, Grandma's going to win the SWAC, and I like Sam Houston in the Southland Conference. Look, no out for for Brad, look, look out for Brad Laird in Northwestern State. No love for Nichols? That is a thorough preview. Okay. There you go. Aaron, See, that, that's the problem. You. If we, you, I told us to stop it after, you know, after Power that. 5 and Conference USA and Sunbelt Conference. Well, that's what we're doing. You, you, RJ wants to swap the, the handcuffs on conference. Me. You put the handcuffs on me. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. The morning drive, the 7 o'clock hour in the book. Still plenty coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. We're back after this. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Call of Anchor Group 1 Realty Studio in West Monroe. All that Big 12 football. Wasn't enough defense, man. Well, what did you expect? So we need to change it up a little bit. Yeah? We need to talk about a defensive guru, correct? Defensive line guru. When you say Pete Jenkins in uh, the coaching business, what's the first thing, the response you get? Um, well, I thought you were going to ask what was the first thing I thought of, and I was going to say Ed Orgeron, because uh-huh. Ed Orgeron's affection for Pete Jenkins. Uh-huh. I mean, he uh, like he doesn't talk – I guess Edzemeyer might might uh, give him a run for his money, but for the most part, he doesn't talk about any other coach the way he talks about Pete Jenkins, yeah. right? But, uh, yeah, Pete Jenkins is so well-respected uh, in the coaching ranks, as, as we said, a defensive line guru. Of course, uh, he brought him in in – I wouldn't say a limited role, but he couldn't go out and recruit. That wasn't his forte. He has now stepped down as the defensive line coach for LSU. Correct. You're looking at Pete Jenkins' uh, 54-year career in coaching. Spans from 64 to 2017. You're talking about the high school, college, professional ranks. You just look at his bio. 
when this thing started as an assistant coach in the high school ranks back in 1964. This kid, this kid, this, this guy kid. has been all over the place. Troy State, North Alabama, South Carolina, Southern Miss, Oklahoma State, Florida, LSU, first stint at LSU in the late 70s and then into the 80s, Mississippi State, Auburn, then LSU again, then the Philadelphia Eagles, USC, and then returned to help out his buddy Orgeron for the last two years. Yeah, he's been there, done that. And the good thing about Pete Jenkins is he's a colorful character, colorful coach. Yes. You ask him a, a question, you're going to get a pretty good response. Right. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't sugarcoat it, and he's not a machine. He's not spouting out or spouting out these, uh, these, uh, I guess, pre-made quotes. Right. That's a perfect lead-in for the major storyline going into last year's bowl game was. Going into last year's bowl game was about Arden Key. Yeah. Why isn't he playing? What's and you could say the major storyline throughout the year for LSU besides quarterback play was. Oh, it was undoubtedly Arden Key. Yeah. What's wrong with him? Why did he miss spring? Why does he look? Why is he in this bad of shape? What's what's going on with him? And of course, then he kind of he turned the corner a little bit. He had a, a a couple of good games, but then then the decision, yeah, that uh, he would not play in the bowl game. Yeah, so he dominated the headlines for LSU last year, no doubt. So, the pesky press asked Pete Jenkins recently at a camp, "Hey, coach." What do you think about Arden Key? Arden Key, uh, you man, you've had a chance to work with him the yeah. last couple of years, yeah. and you know, yeah. off the field issues, everything else. Yeah. But from a talent standpoint, that guy can play. You know, as a junior, well, a sophomore, his sophomore year, I thought he was as good as he was, and everybody was talking about top five and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought he was deserving of that, Mike. Tell you the truth, he's got he's got pass rush skills that everybody doesn't possess, and. Uh, he was wonderful to coach. I mean, he was. I, I, I just enjoyed. So the NFL people were calling me there, saying, "Talk to me about Key," and I said, "Well, let me just say this to you: Had this phone call been made a year ago at this time, you'd have to probably hang up on me because I'd be wearing you out talking about it. Right now, I've, I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed in his year. I was a little disappointed in playing the bowl game. But we're going to that bowl game. We play with a four linebacker scheme." We got one of them flunked out. We got Arden don't play. We got one of them hurt. We playing with one of the four. We playing with one of the four. So what's in there is freshmen. They ain't ready to play against Notre Dame. So I, I felt I felt bad for Coach O has been great to Arden. He's been like I mean he recruited him. He's been great to Arden. I just that just hurt me so bad that he didn't help us win that ball game. I believe this in my heart, guys. Had he been there for one play, if he just played one play, we'd have won the game. Because he'd have got that quarterback. He'd have got that quarterback. The boy threw the ball out of a forest anyhow. If Arden had been there, we'd have won that ball. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him a lot. He's a, he's a wonderful talent and all that stuff. But there was a difference in, the, in his sophomore year and his junior year. It really was. And I wish him the best. I really do. Let me, let me let me end this by saying I like him a lot. Um, beep beep beep. That's the sound of the the bus rolling over him. Man, so a lot to take away from this. My biggest takeaway is 
He's saying what Orgeron can't say yeah, publicly. Exactly. He because he and Orgeron are of the same cloth, yeah. right? They they are of the same cloth. He let the team down. We and did everything possible for this kid. Right. Exactly. And you noticed how when Orgeron talked about Fournette missing that bowl game, it was a lot different than when he was talking about Arden Key missing that bowl game. And he tried to to make it sound the same. But there were little pieces that you could break break away from it that, that let you know that, hey, he feels differently about this. But he never said it publicly. He never showed that. Pete Jenkins just said, here's the curtain. Let me let me pull it back for you. This is the way we felt about that situation. Yeah, everybody was astounded. Oh, Arden Key's just dropping in the draft. What could this all be about? He calls up <laughs> Pete, Pete Jenkins. Jenkins. <laughs> Man, that was uh, – I can't believe you said that. <laughs> to be honest with you, I can't believe you said that. But uh, but that's what you got to love about him. Yeah? I, that's, it is. But I, that's what was so frustrating because the, Arden Key is a sophomore. He really was one of the best football players in the country. Yeah. Right. And then we still don't know for sure. It still wasn't confirmed as to what happened to Arden Key over the break. But something happened personally. And it affected his, um, his on-the-field performance quite frankly, and the fact that I think, like both, like what Jenkins said, Ed Ogeron did so much for him, the least he could do is play in that game. Mm. The least he could do is – Just one play at least. Just one play would have won him the game apparently. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, good stuff from Pete Jenkins. I got more. Uh, He's asked about what makes a good player, and this kind of leads into a conversation comparing college and NFL and, of Mm. course, rabid fan bases at LSU and with the Philadelphia Eagles. Really funny, I was telling the coaches the other day, uh, I was sitting with Jeffrey Lurie, the owner at the, uh, at the Eagles, when I was working there. I was sitting with Jeffrey Lurie, Lurie, Lurie having lunch. And I said, now, y'all understand this, it wasn't like me and Mr. Lurie hung out together. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't exactly run in those circles. But we were in the dining hall, and I just happened to sit at the table with him. He asked me that question. And the standard answer would be big, strong, fast, guy that plays in a bad mood, all that stuff. We all want that guy. But I answered Mr. Leary, I said that, and I said the one thing I really like, especially inside, but I like it on the front, period, is unselfishness. Give me an unselfish guy. You're never gonna be very good on the run defense if your tackles and hopefully your ends are unselfish performance. Because the linebackers, you all gonna go, you know, that's who y'all gonna talk about. They should be making those plays. But the front guys are that's your first line of defense. And, and if you're not very good there, you're not going to be very good in the rest of the, in the, rest of the scheme and everything. So uh, as I answered Mr. Leary, the standard answer, right? big, strong, fast, mean, carry a flamethrower, everything else, you know. But unselfishness is a quality that I always look for in defensive line. You see the success of Doug Peterson. He was a guy that was coaching high school football 10 years ago. And he beats the yeah. best in the business. Now, yeah. again, it comes down to one game, but, yeah. you know, what he was able to do for the Eagles. Well, yeah, the season was, uh, I mean, one one-game season. I mean, he, they did the same thing the whole season. I'm happy. I'm really happy for them and happy for him, Mr. Leary. Those people have really struggled a long time, and they've been on the, on the cusp. They've been on the cusp. They've been on the cusp. And they got great fans in Philly. 
Now, they're not LSU fans, okay? When I went to Philly, they said, hey, Pete, what do you think about these fans? And I'm just trying to be polite. You know, I'm part of the deal up there now. I said, man, they are unbelievable. Back in my mind, I'm thinking, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't see fans until you go to Tiger Stadium. But, but, but they got great fans for pro football. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy and proud for that, uh, for Mr. Lurie and that organization because they've, they've worked really hard to get that done. And it's a, it's a class organization. Could listen to Pete Jenkins talk football all day long. Yes, uh, I was just thinking that, because because that could have been a very boring answer talking about the differences between the players. And man, I was fascinated. I was like, yeah, I, 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 he throws in those little things like uh, carrying a flamethrower that just it's like, yeah, that's Pete Jenkins. Over five decades coaching, he's had a number of great ones. But when you want to get him real fired up. You mentioned one name, and of course, with ties to Northeast Louisiana. Then all of a sudden, Pete Jenkins goes from an older coach to basically Ric Flair. (laughs) Here's Pete Jenkins with this question. Rashard Lawrence, just a few words about how good of a football player he is. I've been coaching 52 years. He might be the toughest football player that I ever coached. He He gets a high ankle sprain. And for somebody who weighs 300 pounds, high ankle sprains hang on, man. He, he, he gets in the first quarter of the BYU game. It got where we could play him a game and rest him a game and play him a game. And, and, and I just have so much respect for him because he fought through that dadgum injury. He is a tough hombre, I'm just telling you. And he's a talented player. You know, he's a, he's a straight A student. He's easy to coach. He's engaged. And uh, I, I tell you, he's, he's, uh, he was a real blessing to me to get to coach him. I, I will always uh, have a place in my heart for that guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's not anything new to people up here. I mean, yeah. people who have followed Richard Lawrence's career, they know what kind of a kid he is. Yeah, hopefully he has a uh, healthy junior season. Yeah, I really hope so. Because if he's healthy, he's going to be a nightmare yeah. for teams. And I think a lot of people, I've said this already, a lot of people are sleeping on LSU's defensive line. For a number of, of reasons, one of the reasons being, I don't. I think they got that sampling of Rashard Lawrence last year and misunderstand how good he is because he played the whole year hurt. If he's healthy and you can see, you know, at, there was a clip that uh, I think Cole Kublik shared on on Twitter this week of him versus uh, Arkansas, I believe the way he used his hands to get by the center and get into the backfield. It's incredible. I mean, those those fan those those hands were inc- lightning quick. And the fact that he was able to do that uh, just just on one play there, it, it was just a small sampling of what he can do. If he's fully healthy, I think he can do that all game long. I think he's going to be a nightmare. And a lot of that technique gained from his work with Pete Jenkins. Absolutely. Uh, Richie weighs in on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance text line. says, two words R and Key knows nothing about, work ethic. Uh, that's fair. That's fair, Richie. Uh, I think we all feel that way. 888-993-7762. The Big 12 preview continues to roll along after the break. All right, our college football previews continue to roll along. We are examining the Big 12 conference this morning. Kind of went through Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State. Those are pretty much the big boys, but do not sleep on West Virginia. They return arguably the best quarterback in this conference in Will Greer. Uh, there's no doubt he's the best quarterback in this conference. You know, and that's why they're getting national love this year is because they returned Will Greer, who threw for over 300 yards per game last season, um, who I think with, with Uncle Dana 
will be able to put up a lot of big numbers again this year. Um, and he's got an All-American to throw to in David Seals. The problem with West Virginia, though, is, yeah, they might score at an insane pace this year, but they're going to be scored on at, at a ra rapid pace as well because this defense, whew, they suffered a couple of injuries in the spring at linebacker, and both starting corners from last year's team are gone. So I think departures and injuries – put this defense in a bind heading into this season. I think that's going to keep them from winning the Big 12 this year. Although they will be fun to watch. They will, you know, it, because it's the Big 12, they will be in some crazy shootouts. And uh, for people who like to watch, you know, offenses run up and down the field, West Virginia might be your team to follow this year. Mm. Other teams, and uh, this is actually a question we posed to Matt, uh, Matt, Todd Berry yesterday when he was on the show following the 2012 season. Perhaps should he have left then when the good when it was going was good for ULM before things turned south. I tie this in with Iowa State because Matt Campbell just did a terrific job last year for the Cyclones. Most thought he was long uh -huh, gone. Uh -huh. He returns for another year, has a new contract at Iowa State. I, I think we all were shocked that he, he got a new contract, that he was willing to do that. Um, but I, I look at Iowa State and – I think they have an opportunity to have a big year this this season. The reason why is because, you know, Kyle Kemp got a six year by, granted by the NCAA, so they they have they returned a player that helped them lead them to what top thirty uh, passing offenses last year. So that's a big plus. Uh, they should be better on both sides of the ball, and I think that's what's going to make them a dark horse in the conference because, yeah, they went eight and five last year. But they could have easily been better. They had a three-point overtime loss to Iowa. They had a 10-point loss to Texas. They had a four-point loss to West Virginia and a seven-point loss to Oklahoma State. They even had a one-point loss to Kansas State. So all of these games that they lost were winnable games. And let's not forget, you know, what happened against Oklahoma last year. I mean, they, they stunned the college football world. And that's what kind of got Campbell's name out there where people were like, okay, this guy's for real. And, and of course, I, I think, you know, Campbell was one of those – bright bright young coaches i think he's going to be successful no matter where he is and because of that and because they were able to return their quarterback for a six year i think that puts them in a position to to make some noise in the big 12 aaron i mean mm -hmm. just look at look at what they did last year i just went through that schedule and how they had a lot of close games and they already won eight eight games i think a lot of people looked at that and said well matt campbell's way ahead of schedule here at uh, iowa state and i get that but when you when you look at that and then you look at what they return, which, like I said, I expect them to be better on both sides of the ball, who's to say that they can't win 10 games in the Big 12 this year? Is that is that a stretch? Maybe. but Their first seven games are brutal. Give before them to me. By Sandy, uh, South Dakota State, not brutal. Not brutal. Travel to Iowa. Not brutal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, like I said, it was a three-point loss last year. It's It's tough. It's not brutal. Oklahoma at home. Oklahoma will be looking for revenge. Akron at home. And Not then, brutal. And then back-to-back -back at TCU and at Ohio at Oklahoma State and then West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to have to win those conference games, of course. But I'm, you're talking out of conference, man. It's not a brutal schedule. Iowa and Oklahoma back-to-back -back early in the year. So you split those. You think they lose both? Yeah. I think they. I think I'll say they split those. How old is uh, Bill Snyder by now? Speaking 80, of Kansas State. I don't know. I don't know how old. He's very old. No, he's only 79. 
79 going okay, on 93. One year off. Yeah. 27th year at Kansas State. His second stint, of course. Now in his second stint, entering his 10th year. Pretty incredible. Yeah, um, I'm not high on Kansas State. They they could score. Who ever is. <laughs> well, look when they had uh, Darren Sproles. When they had Darren Sproles, Optimus Klein. You know, those were fun teams to watch. They were nationally ranked with with uh, Klein. Who goes into a year and says, "I'm extremely high on Kansas State"? We used to. They had a good defense, and Colin Klein was uh, was awesome. Man, he was fun to watch. That said, they don't have that team this year. Uh, they they could score last year, but they were last in the Big 12 in passing defense. And DJ Reed, who was their best corner, is left early for the NFL. So where is this pass defense at this year in a in a conference that loves to throw the football? That's all I have to say about Kansas State. Is I, I have my, my concerns about their their secondary, and they're going up against these pass happy offenses in the Big 12. All right. Also, the Big Twelve. Who else, who do we leave out? Baylor and uh, Karate Kid uh, Pookie Williams of. Will he play for Kansas? Karate Kid. Will he play for Kansas this year? Well, I literally wrote for Kansas. Why bother? <laughs> I'm uh, not going to sit well, here and break many, down. Kansas. How many Louisiana kids do they have on the roster now? I don't know. Aaron. They've got a ton. Okay. Well. And the Karate Kid. Is it going to make a difference? No. Uh, Texas Tech. They're green at wide receiver, unproven at quarterback. Kingsbury's final year? Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to go down, go downhill quick. Uh, Baylor, I think, is is one that we need to talk about a little bit. They were atrocious on the offensive line last year, and they were inconsistent at quarterback. And if you don't have those two things, you're not going to fare well in a predominantly uh, strong offensive conference. Um, so they couldn't match pace with those high-octane offense. That said – Here's another um, coach like Fleck at, at Minnesota where, you know, I can't wait to see what Matt Rule can do in year two. Now he's still, you know, a little bit handicapped with, with, with you know, the punishments that Baylor had. Um, how good are these players that he's getting? But I, I'm still interested to see a guy who won back-to-back ten wins, who had ten back-to-back ten win seasons at Temple. I'm interested in seeing how he fares. Uh, in his second year at Baylor, even though I don't expect him to do too much. Second week of the season, Baylor makes the short trip down the interstate to square off against the Roadrunners at UTSA. Mm, interesting game. Interesting game. There you go. There's our Big 12 preview for today. I promise that will be the most painful this week. You could tell. I'm, I'm the, Well, after the first four or five teams, you run out of steam. I'm least in, enthused about this conference. Uh, you are very enthused about Will Wade, though, right? Oh, absolutely. You want to hear from uh, LSU's head basketball coach coming up next? Yeah, sound good. That's coming up next on the morning. Drive. I think Jake got more fired up uh, during the break when he's hearing the thunder and outside because you thought you were going to have to mow the grass. Yeah, looks like I got out of that. Caught a break. Uh huh. It's always sunny, or certainly the forecast is very uh, favorable for LSU basketball. This has been a pretty good uh, off-season summer for Will Wade. I would say so, um, and he's he's been kind of making the circuit on radio stations, and I heard some comments from him uh basically saying that this year is this, this offseason is going much better than last year because he got to you know put in this whole system last year got it got to kind of change the culture and now he's getting to work on technique and kind of evolving the offense from just being uh you know a, a ball screen movement type team now they're trying to become uh more flexible with their with their offense and of course they can do that too with the assortment of talent they've gotten He's making the rounds, and that included a stop with Fox. Here's that interview. Incredibly 
excited about our next interview. This is long overdue. The head coach of the LSU Fighting Tiger basketball team, Will Way, joins us on Sports Talk 97.7. Coach, appreciate the time, my man. Thanks for having me on. Excited, uh, excited to be on up in Monroe today. Coach, like I said, we, we haven't got you on since you got the gig, so l let's kind of start back at the very beginning. You had a good thing going at VCU. What was it that attracted you to Baton Rouge and the LSU job? Well, it was a great opportunity. It was a, LSU is a place where we've had pockets of success in, in men's basketball, and obviously Coach Brown had some sus sustained success, but I felt like this was a place where we could build a big-time program, a program that can compete nationally year in and year out, similar to what the University of Florida has done. And so, so I was looking at VCU and, and, and places that I would um, certainly leave VCU for. I wanted somewhere where I thought I could stay a while, somewhere I could build a sustained winner and, and somewhere that would give us a chance to compete for championships in a big conference. Uh, obviously, the SEC is a great league and then, and then national championships as well. And I think LSU has all the ingredients, and now it's on m myself and my staff and, and our team and our players to, to make it happen. A program is as good as their recruiting uh, ground. How familiar were you with recruiting the state of Louisiana when you were looking into the job? Relatively familiar, you know, um, when I was the head coach at Tennessee Chattanooga, I had five kids from Louisiana on my roster. Uh, most of them, they were all from South Louisiana. I had a couple from New Orleans, uh, a couple from Baton Rouge, and one from uh, the Gonzales area. Um, so, so, so I was, I was fairly familiar uh, with with this 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 area of Louisiana. At VCU, I actually had a kid from Laplace on my team. So, uh, you know, I I knew the state pretty well I didn't know it as you know as well as I've gotten to know it now uh, but uh, I had a pretty good feel for the state and it's certainly been fun to get out and meet even more new people meet more coaches meet more people as I've uh, as I've as I've uh, lived here for a little over a year now well you know how this the state is now being here the year how football it is a football dominant state and we put more people in the pros per capita than any other state in the United States we always talk about how good really is the basketball in the state. We're talking about it at the, at, at the high school level. You being here now, getting familiar with really, and, and still learning, though, the, the footprint of the entire state, how good is the basketball at the high school level? Well, I think it goes in cycles. I think there's certainly – you guys have a great team up there by you guys who won the state championship sure. right down the road in Rayville, who was maybe one of the most dominant teams I saw all season uh, in, in, in high school. But there's – you know, there's – I think it goes in cycles. Uh, for for there's certainly some really really consistent programs uh, within certain parts of the uh, within certain parts of the state, but but I think there's you know it, it's it's cyclical based on the athletes that you get and the athletes that are more specialized basketball athletes that come through that come through certain areas. But I, I definitely think for a state our size, I think there's there's enough SEC basketball players to you know for for, for us to get, and and we've got to get those guys. You know. The fact is, in the NBA draft last week, there were four kids from Louisiana drafted in the first and second rounds, two in the first, two in the second, and none of them played at LSU. I mean, that's the problem. Uh, you know, the kid from Norcato, Robert Williams, up up, uh, up kind of y'all's way, and then um, Jacob Evans from right here in Baton Rouge. They were both first-round draft picks, and, and then Mitchell Robinson and Melvin Frazier were drafted in the second round, from, from both from New Orleans. So, you know, if – if you're the flagship school in the state, you're LSU. You've got to be able to get those guys. You got to be able to, to, um, you know, to get those guys to stay in state and and, and play for you. 
Will Wade, our guest here on the Sports Company, presented by Bud Light. Coach, uh, you made no bones about it. What your expectations were long-term for this athletic program, and you're not going to be satisfied for this basketball program. You're not going to be satisfied until this team is playing for Final Fours and for the national championship. But in year number one, what was your expectations, and did you exceed that or meet that? Well, I thought we had a, I thought we had a, a you know, a pretty good year. I, I, my expectations are really pretty simple, just to put a competitive team that worked hard on the court every day and a team that, that didn't take days off. And I think for the most part we met that. We had some highs, we had some lows. Um, I thought, you know, we could have done some things better. I thought we did some things very well. But we've, you know, that, that's in the past. We're, we're focused moving forward on this year. We've made the corrections that we needed to make from year one. We've looked at everything critically, analytically, and we've made those corrections, and we're going to be better in those areas in year two, and we're going to grow in some areas maybe that we didn't even get a chance to really work on at all uh, in year one because we were just so focused on, on, on some other things. But I think um, all in all, we laid a good foundation. I think our guys know what a good day's work looks like. I think our guys understand, you know, what hard work, work looks like, what it looks like if you're going to um, be competitive in this league, if you're going to be competitive in our program. And so I think we've made some real good foundational layers that, that we'll be able to build off of as we as we move forward here. Obviously, one of the most pleasant surprises, not only in the SEC, but a young man who really took the country by storm, and he's just a guy, he was just cold. You wanted the ball in his hands when the game was on the line, and he absolutely felt it. It looked like no pressure. Tremont Waters, what a special freshman season. Just a tremendous you know, freshman season. Second best freshman season to John Wall statistically for any, any SEC freshman point guard, so just phenomenal, 16 points, six assists a game. Um, like you said, it's not just the, the numbers. It was the confidence that he gave our team. It was the air that he played with uh, on the court, and, and we certainly wanted him making big plays and, and, and taking big shots at the uh, at the end of games. And so he's had a great off season so far. I'm really, really pleased with how he's continued his development. You know, he's a freshman. You know, we forget that. He didn't. You know, he didn't know a whole lot coming in. He didn't know everything he needed to know. The season, you know, he had a little bit of a of a uh, of a tough four game stretch, and you know, that's what he was focused on, which is so mature of him. And you know, he's focused on how can I be more consistent? How can I be the best every day? And going through these NBA workouts, he worked out for for five NBA teams, and going through those workouts and getting that feedback, he's applied the feedback. He's just had a phenomenal off season, both the spring and the summer thus far he's his um, you know some of the passes last year that uh, you know he got them where they were supposed to go but they kind of floated and maybe we couldn't get as clean a look or they got you know now he's just zipping them and um, he's got much better command on things so I think he's going to have just a as good as his freshman year was I think his sophomore year is going to be even better and so I'm really really excited about him and excited that we have him back to help lead our team and help help move our team pro uh team forward this year the clips made their way across the state of louisiana and it was absolutely gold after your game with the raging cajuns and leading up to that in the nit talking about scheduling and rpi and we played it over and over again and coach my i'll be honest my takeaway is i think this guy really enjoys this this is kind of his thing do you enjoy putting schedules together and kind of formulating the schedule and the yeah, rpi it's exciting yeah. it's exciting yeah we're you know it's it's like putting together a puzzle so I enjoy uh, I enjoy putting the trying to put the right pieces together. Actually, playing three teams up your way. We've got right. uh, 
uh, Monroe, Coach Richard's a great guy. I've known Coach Cross for a long, long time. Um, but we're playing uh, the Warhawks, we're playing Louisiana Tech, um, and we're playing Grambling. So we're playing all three of those guys uh, this coming year. And, you know, Grambling would have would have won the um, if they were eligible. Mm-hmm. They would have they would have won the SWAC last year. And uh, I think they've Coach uh, Coach Jackson's done a really good job up there. He's got a good good team coming back, and Coach Conkle's done a good job at La Tech as well. But the 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 uh, you know I, I enjoy fitting the pieces to the puzzle together, um, make it you know. Making making the schedule fit for your team and plugging all the dates in, I enjoy, I enjoy that piece of it. And, and certainly, you want to keep your eye toward the RPI and making sure you 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 put yourself in position where you need to be on Selection Sunday with the RPI. But I look at it all; it's like a game within the game. And so, you got to schedule right, and then you got to win the games that you get. You got to win the games that you schedule. And so, um, you know, I thought we scheduled pretty well last year for our team. We just didn't win quite enough games with the Stephen F. Austin game and then the Georgia game at home. Those two games killed us. And this year, I think we've got a very good schedule for our team. And now we just got to go out and win the games. Coach, talking about putting things together and pieces of the puzzle. I know LSU fans are excited to the pieces of the puzzle that you put together. Take me through getting this highly touted recruiting class to Baton Rouge? Well, it was really, um, you know, Javante Smart from Scotlandville, he he got the whole thing started. When he committed to us, he knew all these other kids. He was really close with Emmett. He was really close with Nas. They'd all played together on various teams at various camps for a long time. Nas and Javante had been at USA Basketball together, and so – uh, when he committed, he's the one, you know, you want a, a, as a point guard, you want a leader, you want somebody who other guys want to play with because they're unselfish, and Javante is all of that. And he led in recruiting and helping us get these other these uh, these other players, and he's, he's led since he's been here with these other guys. He's just a, Javante's a, the total package as a player, as a person. Uh, he's everything that you, he's everything that you want. And, you know, really, we get a lot of credit for the recruiting, but those guys kind of recruited recruited themselves. Uh, Javante led the way, and when he committed and told him, "Hey, I'm I'm staying home, and I want to play, you know, for LSU. I want to play for Louisiana, and I want to get some guys down here that'll that'll help me." And then he went to work on those other guys. The pieces uh, the pieces fell into place after that. Coach, you were talking about one of the things you wanted to do is get more physical, particularly at your forward positions and. We get a lot of talk on our airways. As you know, Draymond Green is certainly – he's a polarizing player where a lot of people don't like him, but he's that perfect player. We call him a kind of a dog where you hate going against him, but you love him on your team. And most championship teams have that dog, whether it was Rasheed Wallace playing for the Pistons or a Draymond Green, a Dennis Rodman. Every team needs that. Do you feel like you got that in this recruiting class? Big time. Yeah, I was actually watching the 30 for 30 on the bad boys this weekend trying to get some clips out for our guys, talking about Dennis Rodman and Enforcers and Bill Lambeer and all that. But, um, you know, I feel like we've got that. Our kid, Emmett Williams, uh, he's certain he's that in spades. Um, you know, he's he's got some of those Draymond Green qualities, and it's exactly what you said. You want him on your team, and you're going to win most of the time when you have him on your team, but he'll certainly be polarizing for, for some of the teams that you play against. But I feel like – you know, Emmett really brings that. He brings a personality to our bigs. He brings a personality to our front line. One and he the, just plays so yeah. hard and plays with such a motor that it's uh, you know that it's tough to stop him. And so, uh, really, really excited about uh, really, really excited about him. The way the game has kind of changed is there's very few bigs who are kind of back to the basket type players. Now right. they all have the ability to kind of stretch out and either have a mid range game or going out and 
handling the ball like Boogie Cousins. I watched Nas Reed, and, you know, Coach, you can correct me if I'm wrong. When I see him and I watch his style of play, he reminds me of a young Chris Webber. Do you, do you see that comparison, or do you have somebody maybe better in mind? Man, you must sit in our recruiting meetings. We showed him video <laughs> of Chris Webber on That's what visit. I saw when I watched highlights. You must you must sit in on our recruiting meetings. You're on it. But, uh, no, I mean, he's he's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent, as talented a player as I've, as I've ever coached and maybe will ever coach. Um, the things he does with the ball in his hands, the things he does in space, the way he can shoot, he's an absolutely unstoppable force in the paint. When you give it to him in the post, he can play inside, he can play outside, he can dribble, <laughs> he can pass, he's got unbelievable vision. He's one of the most coachable kids I've ever met. He can learn things. He picks things up really, really quickly. He's picked up our defensive concepts quickly. Um, he's just—he's an absolute star, and he's a—he's a quiet. He's a quiet person, but he—he uh, he knows basketball. He understands basketball at an extremely, extremely high level. He's got a high, high IQ, high, high understanding of where not only he's supposed to be, but where everybody else is supposed to be. He's gotten so comfortable in our system. He started coaching some of our other guys and talking to some of our other guys in workouts because he knows where they're supposed to be as well. So um, just a phenomenal talent, phenomenal player, great person, and somebody that our fans are just going to absolutely love. He's going to make two or three plays a game where you go, oh, my gosh, how did that happen? He does that in practice, and we try to act like it's coaching, but we know it's just talent. But uh, he's a he's going to be a, a fan favorite for sure. Have you already started to put together how many potential different types of lineups you're able to put together? Oh yeah, yeah. We started working on big lineups, small lineups. We got such versatility with this roster. We can play so many different ways. Uh, you know, I was telling our staff the other day, staff me like Basket Robbins. We got 31 <laughs> flavors. We can play all. We can we can combine everything however you want to combine it. So yeah, we're starting to you know we're really just letting them play and. July, but we're certainly thinking about that. And in August, we'll kind of script out some lineups that we want to see, some different lineups that we can play. And you know, I think with our versatility, it'll allow us to to be competitive and 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 win maybe some games that we weren't able to win last year, just because we could only beat you playing one way last year. Really, we weren't. You know, if the game didn't go our way, we had no chance to beat you. It had to go a certain way, and if it went that way, we had a chance. And if it didn't, we had no chance. And so, I think this. This coming year, we'll be able to play the game on a lot of different fronts, and I think any time you do that, it increases the amount of games you, you, you have the possibility to win. Jordy Collada and I were talking the other day. Of course, you know Jordy from ESPN 104.5 down in Baton Rouge, and he comes on our show every week, and we were talking about uh, – I was watching Shaq and Dale, and I remember when the PMAC was the Death Dome, and certainly everybody knows about the Tiger Stadium's reputation and the box's reputation. There were times when the PMAC – is one of the toughest places to play in the country. And we saw glimpses of that last year. Do you think we're close to seeing the crowd like that on a normal basis? It takes winning, Coach, and winning consistent well, to get that. Yeah. yeah, it's on us to win. I mean, it's on us to win. I think if we win, I think people are going to come out. I know there's uh, excitement about our team. There's an excitement about our program right now. And I think certainly it's on us to continue that momentum and to keep winning and to, and to keep building. But – I think last year you saw a glimpse of what it can be. I mean, we sold out the Alabama game. It had to be one of the few games all year that was sold out between two unranked teams. Alabama wasn't right. ranked at the time, and we certainly weren't ranked at the time. So I think, you know, that showed that there's an excitement level, and people love a winner. I mean, nobody wants to be associated with a loser. Nobody wants to be associated with a team that doesn't win. And so people people love a winner, and I think um, if we can deliver a winner, which we're going to do this year, I think the people are going to – I think the people are going to – 
come out and, and, and support and uh, we're looking forward to uh, we're looking forward to that as we continue to build the program. That's part of that's part of building our program is is building the fan base and getting people excited about basketball. And I think we're we're well on our way there. Finally, Coach, uh, this league in a short amount of time has made a significant jump. I thought for a while it was it was Kentucky and and I guess Florida were running this league and uh, all the star players were going to the Wildcats and the Gators and the coaching we would say would be down. All of a sudden. This league has gotten very deep and very talented coaching-wise and players-wise very quickly. Were you surprised how good the league was across the board last season? Yeah, I mean, we had eight teams in the tournament. We'll probably get that in again this year. And last year, Mississippi State and us went to the NIT, so 10 of our 14 teams played in the postseason, and Georgia would have if they hadn't had the coaching change. So, I mean, it was – it was, uh, you know, league's incredible. And, you know, we beat the Big 12 last year in the Big 12 Challenge, and, and that was without one of our best teams, Auburn, playing a team that won the league didn't end up playing in the Challenge. So I think the league is, is poised to continue to be really, really good. There's great coaches in the league. Everybody's recruiting at a high level, and there's a lot of good players here in the Southeast that, that, that are not leaving the Southeast and that are going to SEC teams. And so anytime you've got – good coaching, you've got passionate fan bases, and you've got good players, uh, your league's going to be really good. And I think this year's going to be no exception with the SEC. I think I mean, we've got three teams in the preseason top ten. Just about any poll you look at, you see Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee all in the top ten. you got Mississippi State and LSU kind of on their heels anywhere from ten to twenty. Um, so I think – I think there's, uh, there's, you know, there's going to be some really, really good teams. Going to be some really, really good battles, and we just got to prepare every day and be ready to go. Good stuff with uh, Will Wade. We need to take a break because we got to clean up in here because uh, Jake has been drooling all over the mic listening to Will Wade. Stop. <laughs> it's a good interview though. Yes, very good. Coming up next, parting shots on the morning drive. Welcome back to the morning drive, man. Time flew. It did. Let's end with a bang, our parting shot. I deal in reality, Dietrich. I don't deal in some some hair-highlighted, gaffieri, wannabe fantasy land. That's the most negative statement that I hear from fans and media ever. So I'd really rather not have any more questions about, is it okay to lose this game? It's never okay to lose a game. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. I lost. You lost? Yes. Oh, I was told that you won. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, sans français, s'il Lake, Jake seems to always give me information a day or two late. I did not realize yesterday at Chick-fil-A you dressed up as a cow to uh, get free Chick-fil-A. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, so sorry about that. But it does beg the question, what would you do to get free football tickets? Ah. All right, let's say we're doing our top ten games tomorrow. Let's say you view the Ohio State-Michigan game as the top game in the country next year, uh-huh. would you participate in one of those, uh, let's say you have to stand there and, and keep your hand on a truck or something uh-huh. for the longest amount of time? How Would you, let, let me ask this question, would you urinate on yourself to win those tickets? <laughs> let's just let's just come out with it. <laughs> That's a big jump there from leaving your hand on a car to urinate. Well, listen, you're going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Right? I assume. I don't know how long. Yeah, I don't know how that works. You know, I actually covered that in Longview. I think it was called uh, hards on a, uh, Hands on a Hard Body. <laughs> Good title. That could have been bad. Uh, it's been going on since the 90s. So when I worked over in uh, Shreveport Television Market and I was in the Marshall Bureau, we go over to Longview 
And literally, contestants, and I think it started with just 20 or 30, it's grown into this thing where you have to leave your hand on a truck. Whoever can do it the longest. I never saw the attraction to it, even though you get an opportunity to win a truck. I just couldn't imagine myself doing that for longer than 10 minutes. Well, it's got to be a lot easier today because you can have your phone in your other hand. That can occupy some time. Might distract you, though. and Distract you from hold, from right. just putting your hand on a car? Mental fatigue comes into play. Yeah, well. I wouldn't do a lot for free tickets, to tell you the truth. I know, because you're spoiled. You can get yeah. access. But uh, we should have posed that at the beginning of the show and, and saw what people were willing to do to get free tickets. Mm. Oh, I just Googled this. This is not good. How about this? The hands-on-a-hard-body contest fizzled in 2005. When, unfortunately, one of the contestants committed suicide after losing a competition, his wife sued the dealership for $600,000 in a case that was settled out of court. My gracious. That took a dark turn. I just Googled it out of nowhere. Sorry. Okay. Well, let's move on because I was going to ask you a different question about that, but I feel like we we should move on after that. Uh, What's going on tomorrow? What's going on today? Of course, we got the World Cup semifinals. Jake will be all in today at 1 o'clock. Tomorrow, Top 10 Thursday, we are doing the top games, college football season. Um, And it's interesting. It's going to be tough to to make this list because there's so many great games. But I also think, Aaron, as a caveat, we should – include the top Louisiana Tech game, the top ULM game, and the top Gremlin State game. And we cannot take the G-Men versus Southern, just take the easy out and take the Bobby Classic. Even though it's always the one we're we're most excited about. But uh, we'll have that tomorrow, and we'll have the Pac-12. We'll break down the Pac-12, Stanford, USC, Washington. Are they legitimate contenders? And the overall scheme of the national championship. We'll also have ULM's golf coach on at 745. A huge event for the golf program this weekend, of course, with the dinner auction on Friday and then the State Farm Classic on Saturday. He'll join us around 745 or so. Our Coaches Legends series will continue, even though we did not do it today. Yikes. Drop the ball. Look, we've, we've had uh, some, some entertaining shows, I feel. Uh, yeah, we'll have to k- play catch-up tomorrow, but, man, that's going to be a packed Or you show. could just say that Will Wade is a coaching legend. There you point. go, already a legend. Ben says it seems like it's been a long time from when LSU fans were questioning the Will Wade hire. Were fans questioning that hire? Oh, yeah. man, It was not the most attractive hire of all time. I thought it was a great hire. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, something else, uh, w- you know, Pete Jenkins could have been classified as a, yeah. as a legend, so. There you go. I- I'll say we met we met that mark today. We found a loophole. Uh, everybody have a fantastic day. Enjoy the World Cup semifinal game at 1 o'clock. We'll be back bright and early tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. with more of the Morning Drive on the Sports Talk 97.7. Thanks for listening to the best of the Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.